Do you remember the uh, Tom Hanks movie, Big? That's like an old film now. That dates you. That makes you feel pretty old when you say that. But it, yeah, yeah, you remember it was a, a, this 12-year-old boy, and he goes to the carnival, and there's, a, there's one of those, those uh, machines, you know, that you put a quarter in. It tells you your fortune. Zoltar speaks, and he puts the quarter in, and, uh, and he gets the wish, so he just wishes to be big. And, uh, yeah, I... I I don't uh, commend the idea of going to a fortune teller. But anyway, so the next day he gets up and he's in a 30-year-old Tom Hanks body. And, uh, and, and you can imagine where the, the movie goes from that point because it is still the 12-year-old boy in every way, shape, and form except the body. Like his brain is still a 12-year-old. His experiences are still that of a 12-year-old. What he thinks is cool and neat and, and all that stuff is still that of a 12-year-old. And yet he's trying to live in the body and in the life, you know, now the life of a, of, of a 30-year-old uh, guy. So... Uh, uh, this is very much like what we're talking about in the book of Colossians, believe it or not. Um, the, great, the great theme of the book of Colossians is our union with Christ. That we are now new creatures. We are in Christ. Our old self has died. We've been raised with Christ. We have this utterly t- tr- a new uh, life that, that is foreign to us in one sense. And yet we are to live in that. But we're still kind of functioning with the brain of, of a 12-year-old. We're still functioning in many ways with, with some of the practices and the history of our sin and the sins that so easily beset. Yet, at the same time, we're trying to live in this new. Second, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. How many times have we said that? How, do you ever feel, uh, you know, like it's just a failed takeoff thing? Like you get excited and you're sure, oh, I learned a verse of scripture today. If, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And then you leave church and then you go plow, right? You know, nose first into the ground. Because uh, it's like the reality of your life invariably doesn't seem to quite match up to that, that new life that you're supposed to live. Here's the big idea today. Live in the new identity given to you in Christ. Last week, you'll recall, we looked at various sinful, sinful behaviors. Um, we're not through them all because we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. But most of those were bodily-related sins, sins, uh, sexual sins in nature. And what we had seen was, was that the way that the false teachers approach dealing with the flesh had no value. But instead, what we saw was that all those first two chapters of Colossians was just building up to this idea that, that everything that we have is in Christ, in union with him. We have died. We've been raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ, as it were. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. So everything's living out of that, living out of that identity. Now, here's the thing. If you ask the question, how soon should that start to come together? How soon, how soon should that 2 Corinthians 5.17 st- stuff start to happen? What would you tell a, a young Christian? They've come to Christ. They've, they've been converted. And, uh, and you caution them. Now, look, it says you're a new creature. But... How long would you tell them it would probably take before they would start to see some results? Don't blurt it out. Don't just, I just ask you to think about that. Oh, maybe when you're 
like spiritually five or six years old, you'll start to see some headway. And Would you tell them that? The answer to the question is now. Immediately. From the very beginning of the Christian life, we should start to see these things happen. The, the identity should start to become ours. It should start to express itself. Now is the time to express your new identity. Look at what it says. It says, but now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So they had been, as we saw before, children of wrath. They were like those that that were under that wrath, children uh, of disobedience, and they had been willing participants in all those old behaviors. But he says, but now you must put them all away, now. And it may seem silly to you that I'm really just like drilling down on one little three-letter word. I mean, after all, it's only three letters in the English and in the Greek, strangely enough. Yeah, now is noon uh, in Greek. So it's, it's just practically the same word even. Uh, so how do you see, why would you drill down and spend so much time uh, with that per se? But, but I mean, this is, this is key. What he is saying is, he's saying that because of who you are now in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been justified. You've been forgiven. Remember all of our sins nailed to the cross. We've died. We've been buried with him in baptism. And we've been raised to new life. So now, now's the time. Eschatologically, if you like a big word, eschatologically means with regard to end times, end things. So in one sense, because the kingdom of God has broken forth, you know, Christ came saying that you, the, the kingdom is, is now, the kingdom is among you now. Uh, it, it, be, it begins to play, Christ is seated at the right hand of the God, his kingdom is spreading. So eschatologically, it's now. It's, all men are called to live differently. But precisely, it, it comes down to you and I who are in Christ. Absolutely, it should be happening. Now, look at a parallel um, verse to that. Romans 13, 12 says the same thing, a little more poetically maybe. This, this is rich. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We might use the turn of phrase, it's high time. Have you ever used that phrase, it's high time? Have you ever stopped to even ask yourself, what, the, what, the, what does that mean, it's high, it's high time? I have no clue. Why do we say that? But you know what it means. Like take a young man who gets married and, and uh, he's a, say he gets married young. Say he's 21, 22 years of age. So he's not really mature at all. His brain's still trying to mature. And uh, so he gets married and um, every evening he gets on his Xbox and he plays for about four hours. He just, that's normal, right? And if he has a free night, what's he going to do? Go get with the boys and play D&D and, and have a good time like he always has. And then there's that come to Jesus meeting um, with his wife. And she'll, she'll set him down, and she, which this is what she'll say. She'll say, in nice words, she'll say, it's high time. It is high time that you start acting like a husband because that is, in fact, who you are. You're, you know, you're a 12-year-old trapped in a 30-year-old's body, but it is high time. Now is the time. The night is gone. The night is gone. The day has come. The kingdom of Christ has come into the world. You are now his own. Now, 
The life of Christ should be at work displacing, you know, Dis- you, you, you know the concept of displacing, displacing the old habits of the old life. Now, yes, there's a lot of growing, and there will be growing all the way up until the time that the Lord takes you home. No matter how long you live, there's always room for more growth. But if we ask the question, how soon should this begin to play itself out? We know the answer. Now. Now is the time. Now, the next order of business must be to rid yourself of what belonged to your old nature. So put away what doesn't belong to the new. Right? So if you're putting up your summer clothes, getting ready for your winter clothes, and you're a little slow and you ask your wife, hey, what, what do you mean get out my winter clothes? She's going to say everything that's not your summer clothes. Yeah? So put, put away what doesn't belong to it. And the word put, put away is an interesting word. It, 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 also, it can mean to take off as an article of clothing. Can be taking off of armor, for instance. Like if you go back to um, the passage we just looked at in Romans, it said, Cast off the works of darkness. Cast it off. Same word. Translated a little differently. Same exact word in the underlying Greek. So cast off that and put on the armor of light. So you're, put, you're taking off one kind of thing, you're putting on another. Acts chapter 7 in, uh, in that uh, passage where they're stoning Stephen. Do you remember that? And they brought their cloaks, their outer garments, and they cast them at the feet of a certain young man by the name of, do you remember him? Saul. Yeah. Cast off. Take it off. You might think that given your, what's been done already in Christ that we were just looking at, those whole first two chapters where you had a circumcision not done with hands, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the new life in Christ being dead, raised, you might think that this wouldn't have to still be done. But though we are dead, yet we are told to put to death. Though we have taken off, yet we are to go about the business of still taking off. Let's say for a moment that you uh, were out working on a good hot August Kansas day. Why was August so hot this year? You're out on one of those hundred. It was a Saturday, men. You had a bunch of yard work. You'd been putting it off. And uh, every, every evening when you came home from work, it was still 100 degrees. So you hit it early when it's only like 95 in the shade. And you went out and you got down on your hands and knees and you pulled weeds and you got out the weed whacker and it took you 20 pulls to get the thing going. So you just exhausted just from that alone. And you run the little push mower and the riding mower. And you, three, four hours later, can you picture the condition that you are in and your clothes are in at that moment? Yeah, it looks like you just jumped in the river. It's bad. It, it, it's bad. Now, imagine at that moment that your wife reminds you, oh, honey, remember, we're going to a wedding in two hours. Here's the question. How much of the clothing that you are currently wearing will you be able to continue wearing when you go to the wedding? Like, could you keep... Say you put on fresh underwear just, what, two days before. Are you going to bother to change them? Yes, yes, unless you wring them out really good, you know. You, no, you're going you're gonna to have to take, all, take that all off, put all new clothing on. That's the only way it's going to work. And that's the g- gist of our text here. Whatever remains, we need to take off. Now, we're going to get to the list of what we take off here. Last, last week, the list was mostly sexual sins, mostly sins of the body, we might say, sins of the flesh. 
I mean, ultimately, it's all of the flesh. But this week, we're going to look at two kind of groupings. One is very much a matter of our heart, of our temperament, our character. Um, The other more of our um, lips. So, uh, first of all, sins of the heart. Anger, wrath, and malice. Anger, wrath, and malice. Um, Anger. You understand what anger is, yes? Most people have felt a little anger. Have you ever felt any anger ever in your life? Okay. Uh, we know what anger is. Uh, this is mostly dealing with, with, clearly is dealing with holy and uncontrolled anger. I mean, anger in one sense is kind of a neutral word at some point. Like anger is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. In fact, the word anger here is actually the same word that's translated wrath when it talks about the wrath of God. So God's settled anger towards sin is righteous and correct, and so there's nothing wrong with that. Are we ever justly angered, you think? Are we ever angered justly? I would say yes. There are times we see injustice, we see something that's just wrong, and, and we feel anger. But, but the Bible really cautions us about anger and how quickly anger goes off the rails. It says we should be slow to anger. We should be slow to anger. We should not let the sun go down on our anger. We're told that to be angry with our brother is to put us in danger of the judgment. We're told that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So the anger that we're talking about here is not a righteous anger. It is is an anger that comes out of a poor temperament. And, And it's almost always out of really just a self-centeredness. Most anger, if you really stop and analyze your anger, what is the one common thing to to most of your anger? I'll tell you, it's you don't get what you want. You didn't get what you wanted. It's like, no, I was frustrated. What's frustration? When you want something and something gets in the way. Now you're frustrated. Because why? You didn't get what you wanted. I know this because I know my heart very, very well about these things. So, yeah, so, that's, so anger is, that, is, is that, that foul disposition of, of not having what we want and, and, and getting all red-faced about it. And then wrath, very, very similar. It's almost the same thing. In fact, you could almost use them synonymously. When you see them together like this, anger is kind of the brooding, boiling mm, kind of thing. And then wrath becomes the rage. So... After you hit the bad shot down the, the, what should have been the fairway, but into the, into the lake, um, and then your jugular starts standing out, that's anger. And then when you actually break the club, that's wrath. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of related, almost the same, uh, same thing. Wrath is the word used in Luke's gospel for what the people felt when they ended up trying to stone Jesus on the one occasion when he went to the synagogue and he was saying some positive things from the Old Testament perspective about God's view, the Gentiles, in a positive way. And the people got so angry that he was saying good things about the Gentiles that they literally tried to kill him. And that was described as wrath. So you have, you have anger, you have wrath, and you have malice. Malice is evil. Malice basically is the word evil here. In the context, it means that you desire evil things to happen to another person. You want bad things. You know, when you talk about a a crime that was committed with malice and a forethought, 
You've heard that expression, malice and a forethought. It means that you premeditatedly determine out of a great deal of anger and wrath that you wanted to do harm to that person or harm to their car when you keyed it or whatever the case might be. You had malice yet malicious intent. And this trifecta of hostility should no longer clothe the believer. It should no longer be what's on. It, that should have been taken off long ago. I think about that one of my absolute favorite images in the scripture. And you've heard this. So if you've been here for a while, you're like, yeah, yeah, Jay, I know where you're going with this. But I always think of the, I always think of the, the guy with the legion of demons. And Jesus drives them out. They go into the pigs. And the pigs go off the cliff. And everybody's just, ah, and they run away. And they go to the city. And then, and then they come back. And when they get there, what do they see? Jesus is there, he's seated, he's teaching, and who is right there next to him, seated, clothed, and in his right mind? Like, that should be us. Now, that's who we should be. God should have lifted, you know, we should, we should be done with the, the demons of, of anger and wrath and malice. Do you have a fiery temper? I'll let you think about that. Are you quick to ang- be angered? Can I say really quickly here that I relate to that? I do. That like if, if there is any chief besetting sin in my life that, that I've dealt with for years, it's, it's just like, dealing with anger. I get, I get angry, probably because I don't get what I want. Uh, you know, because we never do get everything we want, do we? And, uh, and that's something that, that I have dealt with for years. But you know what? I think it was, especially when I was younger, and I think a lot of people were all a little bit uh, kind of like John Fetterman. You know who John Fetterman is, the new senator from Pennsylvania? He made the news this week because they changed the rules in the Senate to allow him to wear sweats. Because I didn't even know there was a dress code in the Senate, but you were supposed to wear a whole suit and tie. That was, that was the code. And because John Fetterman didn't want to do it, they've, they've, they've relaxed the code. And I kind of feel like that's how most angry people are. Like, okay, yeah, I get that this is a rule for everyone else. But you don't understand, see, I come from an Italian family or, uh, you know, I come from a, I come from a bunch of spunky people. You know, you know, this is genetic for me. Everybody I knew was always angry all the time and we make all of these excuses and we kind of expect the world to change and for God to just be okay with it. And the truth of the matter is these garments of sin, of vitriol, hostility, anger, wrath, and malice should not shouldn't be named among us. They should have been long since thrown onto the fire. So don't, uh, don't give up. Don't excuse. Understand this is not who you are. Those, those you know, the, that clothing is long, long meant for the fire. You should have thrown it away a long time ago. And who you are in Christ is not that. Yeah? Okay, put off slander, obscene talk, and lies. Now it's going to get, so just protect your feet right now So because there's going to be some toe stomping that's happening here, but um, on mine as well, I'm sure. But uh, notice these are all spoken sins. Most people I know struggle very little with these sins. Most Christians I know hardly struggle at all with any of these things because they've given up struggling with them. They've just decided, 
That's just how things are. I'm just going to live this way. James, you know, James has an extensive commentary on sins of the tongue, like a whole chapter of James is devoted to this. Let me just hit some of the high points, which I'm sure you will remember from reading James 3, but he speaks of the the tongue as this small member, but it is powerful to set on fire the whole course of life. He says that we can tame wild animals and we can steer great ships, but, you know, the tongue we're unable to control. He calls it a restless evil full of poison. He says everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's look at these. Slander. Slander means you insult people, usually behind their back. It means you're speaking ill of them with the intention of doing harm to them, with the intention of doing harm to their reputation. Usually slander involves a falsehood. And I will say this, there are occasions, but we have to be very careful about the caveats on this one. Because you, you give yourself this much of a window, and you will drive through it with a truck on, on this kind of deal. But there are times when you are actually talking about someone, and it's necessary to warn somebody of a great evil or a great danger or something like that. If you know something to be true, and you know this person or persons or group or whatever is dangerous, it's, it's not wrong to say, look, I, no, you need to stay away. Stay away from that person. That's, that's a bad influence, and here's why. And I know it firsthand, um, so I know what I'm talking about. That, there's a place for that. But that's not how we're usually using this. Most of the time, when, when we're talking behind people's back, we're, we're, in some way we're trying to bring them down. We're, we're, we're trying to, to lower the, the estimation of that person. It can be to elevate ourselves. Make our, maybe we got a little wounded by, by something, and, and so we're lashing out, and we're trying to do harm. Look at, look at where Jesus puts slander in a list here uh, from Matthew 15. He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's a pretty evil list, would you not admit? And there's slander right at the end of it. And slant, man, we need to be careful. We need to be careful when we are talking about people, and we all do it. We've all been prone to, to fall into that. It's very hard to stop people when they're, when they're speaking ill of another person. We need to err on the side of saying something too good about a person rather than too evil. Yes? Does that make sense? Yeah. Got really quiet. Obscene talk. Obscene talk. That's the, that's, that's a hard, it can be a hard one to define. Uh, it, it means, for one thing, we're not to be blue. If we, you know, comedians, you know, some comedians work blue, and that means that they get really vulgar and really dirty. So if you go, if you're on a cruise ship, and they're, they've got the family uh, moment where the comedian does the seven o'clock show, and then, you, you know, if you want to come back from the nine o'clock show, you know, that's the adult version, and, and it gets, and it gets really, really bad. It, it, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the idea of obscenity. It's innuendo, for one thing, which, uh, which is everywhere. Like, you can't go anywhere. You can't hardly tell a joke. I don't know what percentage of jokes do not involve some sort of innuendo, but it's getting to be a very small minority of jokes. I don't remember, It's been a long, around a long time, for those who don't know, but um, I had grandparents that lived in our home, and then they would have their brothers and sisters visit, and I sometimes overheard the grown-ups talking. This is my grandparents' generation. 
they would sometimes tell jokes that involved horses and buggies. Yeah, so you know how old that joke was. Hey, you remember the old joke? And they tell it, and they, ah, and I'm like, oh my goodness, my grandparents are naughty. What would, that's a horrible thing to tell. It's been around a very long time. And it's not just humor either. This includes crude expressions, this dirty language, obscenities. Um, uh, it's always funny when you're out on the golf course and you've played about nine uh, holes already with the guy they paired you with, and then they're like, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, I'm a pastor. And they're like, Oh, nuts. You know, because they haven't checked their language at all. That's always, that's always a funny moment. But, uh, yeah, I'm like, I've never heard those words before. Those are, those are completely new to me. But um, it's, sometimes it's hard to know what's appropriate and what's not, and I get that. Uh, I remember up in Minnesota, so I'll tell it myself here, um, up in Minnesota, the, the church I pastored up there was kind of an older church, um, a little bit legalistic, you know, uh, very rigid. And um, on one Sunday, this really dear old woman, I mean, she was a dear lady. I, I loved her. And after or before church, we were making the rounds, talking to people. And I got to her, and she goes, Pastor. I'm like, yeah. She goes, can you do me a favor? I'm like, sure. What do you, what, what do, you want? She says, would you please stop cussing in the sermon? And I thought I'd had a stroke maybe and just said a bunch of stuff that I did. And I'm like, what? What? What did I say? I don't, I don't remember. She said, I was making a list last week. You cursed 11 times. I did? What, what kind of stuff am I saying? I don't hear myself say this. And she said, well, you said, you said gee whiz three times. And you said my goodness. And you said mercy. Um, and you said man. And so anything that you would sort of insert into language for an exclamation, if it, yeah, it's like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to say these words because those words are stand-in for the bad ones. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I just, she was such a good person. I, I wasn't going to argue with her. I'm like, you know what? I, I, am, I am sorry. that I will, I will see what I can do about that. You know, I literally don't have any sense whatsoever that those are bad. But I get that for you, those those are bad words, yeah. So yeah, there can be there can be a line, I guess. The simple calculus, if you want to understand whether something is good or evil, that can be that can be said. Here it is: Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for, for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. So. Yeah, and trust me, I'm preaching to myself, guys. But so you think about a joke. You heard a joke. Made the joke. It's just, just that's not bad, but it just takes a person's mind just, just far enough to make it funny. And uh, and you're, oh, I'm going to tell this joke because it was. And then you go, but, but you know what? Then you check yourself. Well, is this doing this person any good? Is there nothing better I could say? Couldn't I? Couldn't? Couldn't I ask? Hey, how can I pray for you? Is there something going on in your life, or or share some, something encouraging? You don't. You don't always have to go there. Or you know, a, a word comes to your lips and you're about ready to blurt it out because uh, you know it's hip to be able to use a, you know some crude language here and there and, but but then you check yourself and you go it, it, does this build the person up does this edify the person and if the answer is no then then don't then don't it doesn't belong to you and do not lie to one another here's a here's something revolutionary that you write this down you heard it today lying is bad Lying is bad. You learn that in church. Lying is bad. Now, 
are there ever exceptions on this question? And I know some people will say, no, there's no such thing as an exception. And then they'll go on to mention the exceptions. Um, in Scripture, there are a couple times where people have lied and it's pre- presented positively. But that's always in the case, it seems, when somebody's life is being saved through that lie. So you have the, the Hebrew midwives who lied to Pharaoh and, and, and they told him, you know, one thing when, when really it was another. But they were saving the lives of the, the Hebrew boys that were being born so that they wouldn't have to be killed. Um, and the same thing with the, the spies, you know, with the, when the Hebrew spies uh, stopped at Rahab's house and, the, and she hid them. She lied to the, the people there uh, in order to spare their lives. So those, you, you could say that those, are, at least they're the lesser of two evils. But by and large, we're not lying for, for that reason. You know, lying, lying is, is destructive. It harms relationships. It destroys trust. Lying disrespects the person you're lying to. Really, if you lie to a person, in one sense, you disdain them. Because if you're really saying, I know something you don't know, and I think you're too stupid to figure it out, so I'm just going to tell you because you're dumb enough to believe it. That's kind of, there's an element of disdain uh, in it. Usually when we lie, if we lie, we're lying to escape our own comeuppance. Yeah? We don't like the penalty. We don't like the cost. We can lie and we can, get, we can avert that, that cost to us. So I'm sure that a lot of returns to Amazon are like, oh yeah, it arrived broken. Did it really? No. Or how many people have, have applied for health insurance and they like, are you a smoker? Yeah, what's really a smoker when you get right down to it? I'm not smoking three packs a day. Nope, not a smoker. But you're smoking, you know, you're smoking a pack a day. It's like, oh, okay, that I don't think that counts. You know, but you then then the cost of your insurance is lower. Or uh, what you know, you you lie to your spouse about your internet browsing or. Uh, you know, you, you say, oh, yeah, I, you, you told me to, I didn't hear you say fill up the car or pick up the gallon of milk. You heard. You just were too lazy to do it, and you don't want to pay the cost. That lies, right? We call those little white lies. Those aren't white lies. Those are deception. We can tell lies about others. Then you're back to slander. We can exaggerate our own importance, and that's pride. We can, we can lie to manipulate other people. That's a form of abuse, because you're, you're actually trying to manipulate another human being by falsehoods. Paul writes this. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Lies have no part in Christ. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to lay those things aside. These sins of the tongue are, are hard ones, aren't they? Hard to put off. Have you ever held on to an article of clothing too long? Men. <laughs> Maybe some of you ladies. I know, I know we men are, are more prone to this. I had a pair of shorts once. and uh, I mean, I've had more than one pair of shorts. But there was one particular one I'm thinking of. Um, and it was threadbare. It's getting pretty worn. But I thought, oh, I can, I can eke out another you know, five years out of this thing. Um, and I went on a trip. I was on vacation, and I was, uh, I was with one of my daughters, and there was a big group of people, and there was a fountain in the background. Let's get a picture of everybody at the fountain. Hey, step up onto the thing. So I went to step up, you know, and I heard, 
Like, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, that, that, I, should have, I should have thrown those out when I thought about it two years ago. And uh, the rest of that day, I wore uh, my jacket around my, my waist. It's like, that should, have, that should have been put away. That should have been done away with a long time ago. There are things in our nature, are there things in the way we behave that we were to have put away. Now is the time. Be done with them. We know we are in union with Christ. And so even... Even what seems impossible to us, things that we feel are just, that's just me. No, no, there is nothing sinful in you which is just you as you are meant to be in the new creation. Nothing. Yeah, you can make excuses. And yes, it can be a besetting sin, but there's nothing that you just go, well, that's just who I am. No, in Christ, that's not you. Because you have put off the old self with its practices. And I love, the, I love the whole back and forth of this. I don't know if you've kind of picked up on the kind of seesaw action. But we are to put off all those things. We are to put them off. Why or how? Because by taking Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have put off our old self. Do you see how, how it's going both ways? Many think Paul is alluding here, by the way, um, that he has the picture of baptism in mind, where you take off, the, you know, you literally strip off the old clothing and you put on the new, you know, white gown in you, or, you know, may not have been in that case in, in, back in the day, but there was that removal of the old clothing and, and that idea of being washed and, 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 and being new. And, and so Paul's like, this is what already happened back when you took Christ. In your conversion, Looking back at baptism, what baptism symbolized, you took it off. So we, you, it, it would be confusing to some people, and I think the confusion is worth looking at square in the face. It's like, okay, have we taken it off, or are we to take it off? Have we taken it off, or are we casting it away? What's the answer? Yes! Yes! It's one of those again. It's, it's, it's that now and not, not yet. We, we, we have, we have put it off, and at the same time, we must keep putting these things off. Um, two, there's two th- ways, I'm, I'm almost done here, but um, two ways this should help us. First of all, it should help us because it should embarrass us into repentance. This, this fact of having already supposedly stripped these things off should embarrass us. To repentance. Let me give you a very homely little parable. There once was a prince. I'm going, to t- I'm going to tell it fast. There once was a prince. You know prince, royalty, all that stuff. He had some nice clothes. He loved, he loved his good clothes, but he liked to go out and have himself some fun. He liked to go out in the town and carouse. So for that, he actually stole the clothing of one of the peasants and rolled around in the dirt to look the part, and then he would go out and, you know, gamble and cheat and carouse and all that stuff. Well, one day the king and the queen, they catch him dressed this way, and they're like, how, how dare you, son? What, what are you doing? What, what could possibly possess you? And they make him get cleaned up again and get into his royal finery, and that's good for a couple days. And then he gets that itch, and he goes out, he sees a peasant, and he just hits him over the head and steals his clothes and goes right back at it. That's my little parable of the day, all right? How embarrassing is that? You're like, that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? That's what I'm saying. Why would anyone do that? Why, if we have put these things off, 
this, 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 this stuff that's just so foul and wrong and evil, why would we put it back on? It makes no sense. So that should, on the one hand, that, that truth should embarrass us back to repentance. And at the same time, at the same time, sort of counter that, it should make us hopeful. Because remember what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying this is your truer self. This is who you really are. You are in Christ. You, you have been buried with him in baptism. You've been raised you know, to new life. Your, your life is, is, is dead and hidden with Christ in God. This is, you, you are in him. He is in you. This is, this is the new life. This is the new self. These things have been stripped away. So when should those things start to, when, they, when should they start to become evident? I think you should know the answer to this. Now. Now. If you need to repent today, repent. Now's the time. We're not waiting. You shouldn't be waiting. Is, is there something of, of what we've talked about today that, that is still part of your behavior and you've excused it? You're, you're pulling the John Fetterman going, well, that's just, no. That's not acceptable. And it's not who you are. That's not who you were created to be. You've put aside these things. When you got baptized long ago for some of you, what were you saying on that day? Do you remember? Because if you took a baptism class, you probably learned. You know, what, what, were you, what were you saying in essence when you went through that outward expression of baptism? You were saying, I have died. I have died to my old life. And I've come to trust in Christ. And I'm a new creature in him. So we live in that. We live in that. If you don't know Christ, then I, I on the one hand, have to, tell, you know, have to tell you something painful. And that is, you still are that old person. This, this, this that we've been looking at, that describes you. I defy you to find any human being on the planet that doesn't struggle with some of these sins and some of these issues. But the Bible would say this is who you are. You're a child of Adam. You are one in him, one in Adam. You, in his fall, you became a, a sinner as well. And you have sinned in, in intention and unintentionally. And you are a child of wrath. You need Christ. You need that new life which Christ alone can give. Turn from your sin. Bring him all those filthy rags, all that filthy clothing. Bring it to him. Confess it. And he will save you. He will come into your life. He will change you. He will make you new. And you can begin to live that new life. And that will begin to displace those, those things. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us as believers in you to walk worthily of the calling that you have given us. Lord, help us to um, experience all that you want us to know. May the, the good and new life that we have in Christ pl- displace the old. May we take off the old garments of filth and clothe ourselves in Christ with which we have already been clothed through faith. And, and Lord, thank you for that. And we pray today, Lord, that you would awaken faith in someone's heart, that, that they would see their desperate need, and that they would cry out to you, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I see the sin. I see the, the filth of it, the moral pollution. And, Lord, I come to you today 
not counting in any of my righteousness, but counting in the righteousness of Christ alone. I take him now, even now, as my Savior and as my Lord. I pray that you would do that work in someone's life today. In Jesus' name.